Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 25. You heard earlier mentioned uh, that the title tonight that I had chosen was The Charges Just Won't Stick. After Jeremy mentioned that a moment ago, uh, Lloyd leaned over and wanted to talk about NCAA infractions and all. I think he was talking about Ole Miss and wanted to know if our football program was uh, going to make it through the latest scandal in probation. The charges won't stick, I promise you. They will not stick. Um, you know, it is important. As you look through this scripture, over the last uh, few weeks in particular, we've talked a lot about Paul and how he had these who were adversaries coming against him, who were challenging him, specifically in some type of court format. In other words, he had to give a witness before individuals, before authorities, that somehow held his whole um, future in their hands. And he had to give an account to them. He had to give a defense of who he was and what he was doing and try to explain to them what God had called him to do. In Acts 25, you see this narrative continue as he appears before yet another authority. Notice beginning in verse 1, it says, Now when Festus had come to province, after three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. So, Notice Dr. Luke tells us there's been a change. There's been a change in the ruler, the Roman procurator who was there. Earlier, it had been Felix. Earlier, it had been Felix that he had had to give an account to. And Felix, wanting to appease the Jews, had kept Paul in this imprisonment, may have been house arrest, for approximately two years. And now, Dr. Luke says that there is a new governor who has come into the scene. In verse 2 it says, Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him. So he comes into Caesarea, where he'll take up his headquarters, if you will. That's where he'll live most all the time. But within three days, he goes down to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is the cultural, religious center. He needs to make a visit down there. And as soon as he goes down there, he meets these religious leaders who are anxious to speak to him about Paul. Isn't this amazing? The new guy's on the job for three days, and the religious leaders want to somehow drive this case against Paul. They want to speak about Paul, and they want to see if they can bring all of this to a resolution. Verse 3, asking a favor against him that he would summon him to Jerusalem, while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. In other words, they want this new governor to send Paul to Jerusalem so that they can lay in ambush, this time the leadership, not just the lay leadership, but this is the religious leadership of Jerusalem, of the Jewish people. They want to ambush him and obviously kill him. Verse 4, But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. And when he had remained among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem, and they stood about and laid many serious complaint, complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. Well, he answered for himself, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, 
Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I'm an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. Now continue reading, because this is basically just a restatement of those events again. Verse 13. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There's a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priest and the elders of the Jews informed me. When I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him, to them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to, to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. And Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium of the commanders and the prominent men of the city, a Festus, at Festus' command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death, that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. I know it's a long passage, but I, I feel like as we look at it together, we see Paul standing in the truth of Scripture, in the truth of God himself, and we see him making or him about to make a defense for God and who he is. Now, notice what you see in these first few verses. In these first few verses, again, you see Festus arriving, as I mentioned, going down to Jerusalem, coming back to Caesarea. He comes back to Caesarea with the religious leadership. And the religious leadership began to make the charges that they had made previously against Paul. Two years removed now, they're making those charges again. What I want you to see in particular is that this man, Festus, as he examines Paul, is he finds him, he finds him not guilty of those charges that have been brought. You hear him even as he relates it later, as he, speaks about, as he speaks about Paul and what's happening, as he relates it to Agrippa. You hear in his words how he finds Paul not guilty of those accusations. I think it's important as you read through this chapter 
to recognize that Paul was not trying to upend the earthly authorities. Rather, he was speaking about a spiritual kingdom that had been brought. A spiritual kingdom based upon who Christ was and the good news. It is interesting to me if you read through the book of Acts or if you read any of Luke's writing, the gospel itself, that you will never find a Gentile authority who finds a Christian guilty. That's interesting, isn't it? I, I think it's significant. Some people have even suggested that Luke in his writing is a defense against those who would say that the Christian faith is somehow, uh, is somehow built to bring these governments down, that its aim is to bring the earthly governments down. That's what some people charge Christians with. I mean, remember Jesus himself had been accused of insurrection or trying to incite rebellion. Jesus had been accused of that. And now Paul and the others of the way, somehow they're being accused of, of pushing back the earthly governments. But over and over and over again, as they are examined, especially as Luke tells us, these individuals are not guilty of such scheming. They're not guilty of such treason, insurrection. For me, that's a, that brings forth a great truth, and that is this. The kingdom we're involved in is not just an earthly kingdom. The kingdom we're involved in is a spiritual kingdom. Now, how does that affect us from day to day? I think we need to be reminded over and over that we are not here, we are not here in order to somehow bring down earthly strongholds, earthly governments. We are here as God's people to address the spiritual kingdom that he's placed us in. Now, I'm not saying we can't make a difference earthly. We should. And I'm not saying that we can't even participate in earthly governments or political processes. Not saying that at all. I'm just saying to you that our focus should be about the spiritual kingdom of God. Now, let me put it this way. I am a political junkie. I love it. As a matter of fact, when I walk in my house, oftentimes, Ainsley's there. She's watching cartoons. Uh, this time of year, I might walk in. Rhett might have it on a basketball game. None of you are watching it right now on your phones, are you? Not doing that. But he might would be doing that. or I mean, all, they might be watching all these things. But I think the classic example of this is I walked in the other day. Ainsley was watching her cartoons, and she said, Die. Are you going to turn it on the news again as soon as I walked in? You know, I think they could identify the Fox News, little, that little logo. I think they could identify that easily and quickly because I just follow it so much. I mean, uh, when, when it's Super Tuesday or Super Tuesday 2 or all those kinds of things that go on, I will stay up, I'll watch. You'll see me the next morning probably especially it probably won't go the way I want, just like the basketball games, they don't go like I want. But, you know, um, you probably see me the next morning, you'll see how frazzled I am and just because I get all involved in it. And, I, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm personally there, like working people's campaigns. Like, why did you do that? Why did you say that? Why don't you do this? Why don't you say that? You don't do this, do you? 
You never have these kind of moments. I get so worked up when I see certain people say certain things that just seem to me to be, just seem to me to be so foolish or even immoral. And, and, and I feel like I've got to be the one to go out and somehow remedy this. I know I'm speaking only for myself. I have felt that over the last few weeks. I've tried to read through this scripture and capture the truth of it and allow it to enlighten my heart and transform me, really, as I move through this. And I think what the scripture's been teaching me lately is that, yes, it is fine for me to participate in things. I am to be the salt and be the light. Look, I'm one of the first people that would tell you to go vote. Everybody ought to go vote. God's given us a responsibility in this nation. He's given us a great privilege in this nation. I think people ought to vote. I think we ought to vote for conviction, principle. I really think we ought to. But we need to remember that our goal in life is not to elect a certain president. Our goal in life is to exalt a king that is above every other king. And I think we need to be reminded. And, and I'm exhibit A right here of those individuals that need to be reminded of those things. That we get so caught up in the political processes and all of the things. Look, for, Paul was not trying to overthrow the Roman government. Was it because he affirmed the Roman government? Absolutely not. He wasn't all about their principles. He wasn't all about their values. You'll see it later on. As he'll come into conflict with them. He, he wasn't trying to. That, they kept bringing these charges against the Christians, against early believers. They kept bringing the charges saying, hey, he's trying to, he's trying to totally do away with the government. He's trying to do away with the Roman authorities. No, he wasn't. All Paul was about was preaching the gospel. Now, get this. When Paul preached the gospel and the good news worked itself out in people's lives, it naturally affected everything around them and the structures. But his goal was not, let's see if I can somehow overthrow the governor today or overthrow the Caesar. As a matter of fact, when you hear in this passage, when you hear it, I think you hear a heart of submission before the authorities that have been placed there. And again, none of them found him guilty of these charges, charges of insurrection and treason that had been brought before him. When Jesus stood before Pilate, and Pilate asked him this question about his kingship, about his kingdom. Jesus reminded Pilate that his kingdom was not of this world. His kingdom was greater than this world. And it's still greater than this world. And God wants us to work for the kingdom. He wants, to, he wants us to be a part of the kingdom activity he wants us to be about the gospel and sharing the good news and allowing that just to 
change our culture, change who we are. And certainly, the resurrection was the bedrock. It was the capstone, perhaps is a better terminology, the capstone of the gospel. Notice what this Festus says as he's sharing with Agrippa. He says, they had some questions about him. Again, verse 19. And somehow they're concerned about these questions with religion. And, and you know, Paul, it's something about the way Paul talks about this man named Jesus who died, but Paul says he's alive. I love the way Festus captures the gospel in a nutshell. This Jesus who died but is alive. That's the heart of the matter, isn't it? That's the heart of what has brought him into some type of conflict with the Jewish authorities is that Jesus died and now he's alive. The big deal is he's alive. And they didn't want that story out there. The Jewish leaders didn't. They didn't want that esteemed. And yet that was the truth. And that was what gripped Paul so much later on next, well, two or three weeks from now, whenever we're back on Sunday night, we're going to look at the defense that he makes before Agrippa. And you'll see him refer to his conversion. But what he knows in his life, Paul knows in his life, is that this Jesus who was dead, who died, is also the Jesus who is alive. And that transforms his life and transforms his message. And even if it brings him into conflict, he is willing to endure, to embrace, even if it's some type of punishment like imprisonment, he's willing to do that because he must speak the good news of Christ. But again, that's about the spiritual power. It's about the spiritual power, not the earthly power. We wonder sometimes, I think, in our churches, why we do not see the manifestation of God's spiritual power. I don't know if you have, but I've kind of asked myself that. Like, why do we not see the spiritual power of God like we did once in our churches? I mean, really, if you look across our nation, I'm not talking about us just individually. You look across our nation, we have some very anemic churches Churches that are there, but it seems that the power and the anointing of God is not there. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's, there's no demonstration of God's power like it was at one point. Now, there are all kinds of reasons. I think, one, people, maybe we need a lot more repentance in our churches today, and that would probably... <laughs> remedy some of it but i think part of it is that we have become so fascinated and focused upon earthly power that we've forgotten our need for spiritual power i think too many of us have got called gotten caught up in the political structures the earthly structures when god wants us to seek him and to demonstrate his word and his power get this paul declared he declared to the romans that it was the gospel 
that was the power of God for salvation. Right? It was the gospel, the good news. You want to change somebody's life? Don't try to convert them to your political party. Try to introduce them to the gospel. You want to see somebody change their values and their morals and all that? Give them the good news of Christ. Jesus Christ can change somebody much more quickly than some politician can or you can or anybody. Jesus Christ is the one that makes a difference in a person's life. And that's what we need to be giving people. That's the reason I believe if we would use that determination, that determination that we have in political circles, if we'd use that determination that we have for that to simply share the gospel of Christ, I really think would make a difference. You'd see a change. I really believe that if we were as focused on making disciples as we are in some of our political allegiances, we would see a change in our culture and ultimately in our country. You've heard me say this. I'll say it again. I'll say it hundred times. Our faith cannot be in a political party and it can't be in a political person. Our faith needs to be in the Lord Jesus. He is the only one that can change us personally. He is the only one that can change our community. He is the only one that can change our nation. He's the only one that can change our world. And I believe wholeheartedly as I read through this, that is what Paul is saying. He is not there to upend the earthly governments. You hear it out of every one of these, these officials' mouths. All of the Gentile officials that Luke reports on, they all say, hey, he didn't do this. We're going to talk more about Agrippa in a week or two um, when we come back. But I'll tell you what is awesome about this as well. When Dr. Luke writes the book of Acts, Agrippa, this Agrippa, the Agrippa II, he's still alive. Pretty amazing, isn't it, to think about? It's almost like Dr. Luke writes this out and says, and if you don't believe that Paul was more about the spiritual than he was the political, if you don't believe that the Christians aren't trying to somehow undermine the Roman government, that that's their big deal, that's their big purpose, he said, won't you go ask Agrippa? And Agrippa will tell you what Festus decided. Agrippa will tell you what his experience with Paul was. You go and ask him. It's kind of like Luke includes this narrative of Agrippa so that it will be a challenge to the readers to go and just visit with Agrippa and hear what he would have to say about Paul. Because those early believers were not set on bringing political transformation. They were set on bringing spiritual transformation. A simple truth, but may I suggest to you a needed truth for us. A needed truth for me, a needed truth for you. That the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom, is what God has called us to focus upon and seek and allow that to transform the earthly kingdoms we see around us. You know how liberating it is, by the way, that I don't have to focus on earthly power? How liberating is that for a moment? 
Because whoever, now I'm going to participate. I just told you I'm going to vote, right? And I'm probably not turning Fox News off too much. But this is the liberating part of it. Whoever occupies the White House now or in the future, whoever occupies that house still has to bow before Almighty God. Because my God is sovereign. And my God is king. And it's not up for an election. He's already been coronated. And he's alive. And that's what we celebrate. And that's what we focus on. And that is what empowers us from day to day to share the good news and to see his transformation come. May we be a people focused on the right kingdom, focused on the right priority, focused on the right purpose. May we see his empowerment by the Holy Spirit as we go forth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for tonight. And Lord, this narrative, although simple, Lord, how significant it is for us at this moment in our lives, at this moment in our nation's life. Lord, how significant it is, as Dr. Luke reminds us, that even the early believers, they were not there to bring political revolution but Lord they were there to bring spiritual revolution and may we continue may we continue to focus upon the gospel and sharing the good news may we rest in you may we be empowered by the resurrection itself Lord to tell others about how transformation can truly come in their lives Father, we pray that tonight you would continue to help us to build your kingdom, not ours. Lord, give us the empowerment, even through your spirit this week, to simply declare your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand tonight as we have this moment of invitation? Maybe you just need to pray where you are and seek Him.